Amen. That was some great worship, wasn't it? Thank you, guys. Well, good morning. It's great to be with you and to dive into God's Word together. Um, do you ever find yourself saying something that you instantly wish you could take back? You almost instantly regret, right? I, mean, I think we live in the day and age where so much is out there and we say so much that I find myself all the time, you know, wishing and wanting to take something back that I say. I know that old adage that we grew up with of, you know, sticks and stones may break our bones, but words can never hurt us is supposed to be true, but it kind of only works if you don't care about other people, right? As soon as you care about people around you, words have a lot of value. They have a lot of meaning. And I find myself, I mean, I don't know, I was thinking about this, the other, it wasn't too long ago when our kids were a little bit younger, um, that my wife uh, was kind of debating whether she should go on this uh, pastor's wives retreat that she was going to go away for. And it was a week away, and she was thinking, you know, I, I stay at home with the kids, I can't go. You know, there's so much cooking and cleaning and laundry and nurturing the kids, like, there's no way I can leave. And I'm like, babe, 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 I got it. Like, you can leave the kids with me, and um, I, I got it. I'll, take, I'll work from home. I'll take some time off. So automatically, she should have known that, like, the attention was not going to be there. But I was like, I'll work from home. I'll take care of the kids. I got it. No big deal. And so she hesitatingly left for this retreat. And the moment she walked out that door and I heard a car drive away, I was like, I knew instantly, Lord of the Flies. Like, my kids are going to be, like, in little, like, you know, Tarzan outfits with spears at the end of this, just... You know, and if I get out of here with two kids, and I had two at the time, and, and if I get out of here with only one kid, I'm, I'm pretty happy at the end of this. And so I thought it was going to go really south really quick. But lo and behold, like, it was a great week. I mean, I had a lot of fun with my kids. I hadn't really actually spent that much dedicated time with my kids. I taught them important lessons and valuable things, like the fact that pizza is good for more than just dinner. It's also breakfast, and it's lunch, and... You know, I figured out how to do laundry quicker than Krista wanted me to. It was like, you just throw it all in one load, all at one time, and you just turn it on. Um, Roomba was working 24-7 to, to vacuum the floors. And, and so at the end of this week, she gets home, and she looks at the kids. She's, like, inspecting them, looking for, like, cuts and wounds and all that kind of stuff. And she smells them. They, they smell good. They look good. And she looks at me, and she looks at the house, and she goes, wow. Now... I heard her saying, like, wow, God is real. You actually made it. But what she was really saying was just like, wow, you, you did a good job. Like, great job. I'm proud of you, honey. Like, I heard it the wrong way. And so instantly I was kind of on my heels. And, and what I meant to say when I saw my wife was like, hey, we love you so much. We missed you. We can never do this without you again. You know, all that kind of stuff, that mushy stuff. But what came out in hearing her yell, wow, was... I kind of got defensive. I was tired. I was groggy. I was like, I looked at her and I was like, what do you mean, wow? This was no big deal at all. And she goes, what? <laughs> and she's like, instantly, what? And I'm like, I should, I should have read the, the, you know, I should have heard the signs. I should have heard what she was actually saying because I didn't. And I kept doing the, the dumb thing that sometimes as husbands we do, right? I was like, yeah, this was no big deal at all. I mean, I handle stuff crazier than this at work all the time. This was easy. And the moment the words came out of my mouth, you know those, that moment, you wish you could just rewind time and take it back, but it was, it was already said. And with that, the next three nights on the couch were sealed. It was like I was done. And I wish I could take it back. I, I didn't mean to say that. I didn't mean for it to come out like that. And, and I don't know if you've been there, but I, I mean, we probably all have, where we regret almost instantly. We were kind of caught in an odd mood. We were kind of tired or grumpy. 
we, maybe some of us are just more blunt and, <laughs> and honest than we should be sometimes, but it's hard sometimes to control our words. And they really do have a lot of power, right? I mean, in one hand, your words can break down someone's lives, and on the other hand, your words have the ability and capacity to build people up and make them feel better about themselves than they ever would have if you weren't there. And I bring that up because today, one of the fruits of the Spirit that we're going to look at kind of centers around the way that we can use our words to diffuse really difficult situations, to make a difference in people's lives. It's the fruit of gentleness, right? It's one of the most overlooked fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. Paul's been mentioning, and we've been going through this series, each week we take, or each month we take a different fruit. We've gone through love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness last month. And he gets to gentleness, and like I said, it's one of the most overlooked fruits of the Spirit. It's kind of one of those things that, ah, it's, it's, it's good on the surface, but, but gentleness, that's difficult. The word for gentleness that Paul uses over in Galatians chapter 5, in the New Testament, it's kind of a special word. It's a word that has the same root, the same base, and it's often translated as meekness or humility. It's not a word that just means you're nice to other people. It's not a word that just means you're weak or wimpy. It's a word that at its core means, look, the way I treat other people is going to come from a place where, well, I'm not going to be harsh or forceful with them, right? I'm not going to make my opinion and my view the most important thing. I'm not going to treat people in a demeaning way. The word was also used of, of people who broke horses, of who tamed wild animals. It's like we, you've heard the, the term, if you know horse, horse lingo, gentling a horse, Right? It was a term that meant to bring an animal in their day, a wild animal, under control. And if you think of a horse and all its power and all its majesty and beauty being trained and, and, and broken by, by a trainer, to all of a sudden now this horse with all that power and all that raw uh, strength is now under control. It can move forward, it can move backwards, it can start, it can stop with control. And that was the idea of the word gentleness in the New Testament there. It was that we had our passions and our strength under control. And so um, it's a word that in their day and in our day, I don't think we give much value to. Right? We kind of live in a time where everybody wants to be heard. Where everyone wants their opinion acknowledged. Everyone's encouraged to kind of leave a review. Make sure people know if you've had a negative experience. Right? Or, or, or I even hear this all the time. People say this, look, facts don't have feelings. Right? We're very honest and blunt sometimes. We're very opinionated in the way that we handle other people. And one of the common misconceptions when we come to gentleness all of a sudden is that, look, if I'm gentle with other people, that somehow means I'm going to be weak. It somehow means that I'm not going to be taken seriously. Some, some, it also means, I, in some sense, that I'm not going to get ahead in life, gentle people. But it was Jesus himself over in Matthew chapter 5 when he was giving us the Beatitudes. He said, blessed are the gentle or the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Right? Jesus would say, on the contrary to what most people think, it's not people who are overly harsh or angry or flexing their power who actually get the most out of life here on earth. It's those people who learn to operate and move in gentleness who inherit the earth. So today, as a base for this fruit, I kind of want to look to some wisdom from the scriptures over this. And so we're going to go through a few Proverbs. If you guys have your Bibles, open up to Proverbs, and we're going to go to chapter 15. It's kind of our base for wisdom. The Proverbs I love. The Proverbs are short, pithy um, sayings meant to bring wisdom in a real sense of order to the overwhelming craziness of life. 
And a majority of these Proverbs were written by King Solomon himself, who at one point it says he was, uh, he was given wisdom above anyone else here on earth. And in Proverbs chapter 15, Solomon is dealing kind of with the relational aspect of being gentle, uh, of figuring out how to be gentle with, with, with each other. And in verse 1, he says this, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. In your translation, or you, you might notice that word soft has a little asterisk next to it sometimes. It's, a, it's the same word for gentle. And he goes, look, a soft answer or a soft, gentle word to someone can sometimes turn away wrath. It has this ability sometimes when you're talking to people to use words that don't stir others up to kind of diffuse a situation, to keep things from spilling over. And he contrasts that with the fact that sometimes when we use harsh words, Man, it stirs up anger. You don't have to think very hard about all the times you've said something harsh or you've been around someone who's using harsh words and the moment you kind of respond to them in their nature, it's like World War III, right? Maybe you've got that uncle or that cousin or whoever it is who every Christmas, every Thanksgiving, you're sitting down at the dinner table with him and you know you're trying to have that peaceful family meal and then comes politics, And then comes this or that or whatever it is. And we all know that person. And the moment that you say something opposite of them, the moment that you rise up and meet them at their level, even if they're dumb and stupid and wrong and whatever, it's like, this is now going to ruin Christmas or Thanksgiving. Right? Or or as a parent, you probably know this, right? Your kids, you see them, and kids just do the dumbest things sometimes. Right? They act in ways that you're like, what, is this kid like demonically possessed or what like and they say things that you don't know where they come from and they act in ways and and there's always that moment as a parent that you just look at your kid and there's just this feeling of like what is wrong with you you know and it's it's rising up in you and if you begin to kind of yell at your kid in that that nature and you know that it never ends well they never hear you and go you know what you're just so crazy angry right now I'm gonna listen to you dad (laughs) it just never works that way I mean, and you've, you've all had the neighbor or the coworker that no matter what they do, they belittle you. And you know that the moment you respond to them in the way that they're treating you, it's like, oh, now we've started a war. And now I'm angry at them for this or that. And, it, and, and kind of Solomon's point here is, look, you have to understand this. You can make things a lot worse by responding to people from a sense of anger, a sense of harshness, right? And maybe... For all of us, we've, we've been in these situations, whether it's our spouse saying dumb things, whether it's people meaning to or not, right? But your natural response when you hear these things is to defend, to kind of launch your attack back at other people, to, to meet force with force. And Solomon says, look, when you find yourself in those situations, hold on, hit the brakes, stop, because that's not going to produce the best response, There's a better way to respond to others in life than anger or heated response. Because here's the deal. Angry people don't often come to great conclusions. (laughs) It just never works that way. Angry people never come to great conclusions. You're never going to see an angry person come up with a great, sensible idea. It's not the way it works, right? And when we get angry at others, when we treat them harshly, when we treat them rude, it's never going to end up well. right? You see, what under kind of lies a response of anger when I'm dealing with other people is a real sense that you know, I have expectations when I'm talking to people, when I'm dealing with people. I have an expectation that my needs are going to get met. I have a, an expectation when I'm talking with someone that they're going to respect me, that they're going to listen to what I say. I expect that my needs are going to be met. I expect that what I pay for, I'm going to get when I order something. I expect that my time is valued. I have 
underneath it all, when I'm dealing with other people, these expectations for myself. And when someone comes along and someone opposes that, someone comes along and someone says something the opposite of what I believe in, what I like, what I want, someone says something that kind of irritates me or offends me personally, suddenly I'm standing there going, look, 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 you didn't meet my expectations. So I'm angry in response. Because I believe the world works this way and you believe it works that way, so now we're angry at each other. And Solomon would say, look, there's something more to it than that. Patience, gentleness, kindness, when you respond to people in the way that they're treating you, man, it often takes a back seat. And that mentality of I've got to defend myself, I've got to handle things myself, I've got to step up and put people in their place. You see, when we're handling people like that and we're treating them angrily or harshly, it really just highlights the fact that we're afraid of losing control ourselves. We don't want someone else to be right and us to be wrong. We don't want ourselves to be thought of as less. We don't want our opinions to not matter. We don't like to not be in control. So we get harsh. We get upset. We respond angrily. But gentleness steps in and says, look, before I treat you on the level of what hasn't made me happy, I'm going to step back and say, look, I'm not going to make this about me. I'm not first in this. Right? Instead, I'm going to treat you with value. Whether you agree with me or not, whether you're right or wrong, I'm going to step back before I respond and I'm going to recognize that there's still value with you. It doesn't leave or doesn't cease because you don't agree with me. It doesn't leave you. It doesn't cease because you're not doing what I wanted or expected or I paid for from you. Gentleness comes from a place of humility that begins to look at other people and say, you know what? You're a valuable person. Your opinions, where you're at, who you are, that's valuable. And what I give value to I treat gently, right? I mean, think about it. Like, have you ever seen, and I know it was this way with me, have you ever seen a, a, a guy, especially a guy, us guys, we were really awkward with this, hold a baby for the first time? It's like their arms, they forget how to use them and they get freaked out and they just lock up, right? I remember when the nurse handed me my son, Connor, and, and, and it was, you know, 11 years ago now, and I'd hold, held babies before, but my wife was in the other room recovering from having the baby, and I was in this room by myself, and the nurse just hands me Connor and then walks out. And I was like, what do I do? I was like, my arms don't work. I'm like, I'm walking around carrying him like this. He's crying. Like, I don't know what to, you talk all soft, right? And it's not the fact that babies are fragile, Like, I mean, we handle fragile things all the time, right? You've got cell phones, and we toss these things around. How many of these have I broken? It's like, but this is fragile. I don't don't handle it like a baby, right? All of a sudden, I'm holding something with value. I'm holding a precious life of a child in my hands. I'm looking at this little baby, and I'm going, holy cow, you were made in the image of God. You're crying right now, but you're beautiful. You're amazing, and I I don't want to drop you. I don't want to mess this up already. You haven't been broken by the world yet. I don't want to be the one to do that, right? And you handle these things, and you're just so sensitive and gentle. And in some sense, it kind of highlights the fact that, like, one day, these little babies grow up, and they become, instead of crying because they're hungry, they cry about this or that, and they become people that all of a sudden we look at, and we go, oh, you're no longer worth that, that much like you were when you were a baby, you're a human now and you believe in something else politically different than me. Or you believe in this or you, you, you're, you're that way or this, this group over here. Or you say this or that and we suddenly look at people and we're like, yeah, I don't want to give you that value anymore. You're a cute little baby once, but now 
your screaming, crying adult. And in some sense, what Solomon is saying is, look, step back and realize this. Everybody has value. We're all made in the image of God. And our natural response to people is put ourselves first. But stop. Treating people gently in humility comes from a place where we say, you know what? Your opinion, who you are, is more important than me winning this argument. Is more important than me getting my point across to you. Is more important than me having my needs met and my feelings you know, taken care of. You are valuable. And that's what humility ultimately says is, look, you're more valuable than me in some sense. We're all valuable to God on the same level, but, but treating others as if they're greater than ourselves, it's like esteeming each other, Paul would say in the New Testament, as better than ourselves. Is this aspect of humility that says, look, it's not all about me in the end. And when we can take that approach into our relationships, we can hear someone say something difficult or harsh to us. We can hear someone say something we don't like, and we could go, you know what, it's okay. Now, if you're like me, I kind of start hearing this, and I'm like, wait, so do I basically just have to treat everyone like they're babies? Is that what you're saying? Like, do we, it's kind of that modern snowflake generation of like, don't say anything wrong to anyone. Don't make anyone mad. We're all, we all don't want to be offended. Just be politically correct all the time. And, uh, you know, this is what Jesus is talking, or this is what King Solomon is talking about. No, I don't think it's necessarily that way. It doesn't mean that you still don't be truthful with people. It doesn't mean that you still don't be honest with people. But you do it in a way that treats them with value. You do it in a way that doesn't want to drop the relationship. Where you handle them and you say, look, man, you're, you're more important than this. So I'm not here to argue this point and to get mad at each other and to, to, to make each other feel bad. Look, I'll let you win this argument for the sake of, of gentleness. Solomon, if you flip over to the right, uh, Proverbs chapter 25, um, Solomon has another thing to say about gentleness that I love. And in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 15, Solomon says this, by long forbearance, a ruler is persuaded, and a gentle tongue breaks a bone. I love that, as he gives a little bit different of a situation to kind of highlight gentleness. He says, look, if you're dealing with a ruler, in this case, that word there also means like captain or military guard, was a very important person who had to make decisions, was in charge of commanding people, telling them where to go, and he's like, You normally think that when you deal with that type of a person, you need to be very sure of yourself. You need to be very assertive, and you need to be very dominant when you talk to these types. You need to demand your way, um, get it right, show them who's boss, kind of a response. He goes, actually, and this is Solomon as king, (laughs) telling people how to deal with people who are in charge and in authority. He goes, look, if you want to make a big difference, if you want to have your point heard, if you want to get it out there in the end, he goes, it's, it's by long forbearance, or that's patiently waiting. Not just being forceful and right away demanding things. Not just saying, you don't understand, you're wrong, you're not getting the way I feel, you're not getting the way I want, I want to be heard. It's, it's saying, look, this is a process here. I'm willing to kind of walk through this and take some time so that you can hear me out. And, and as he goes on, he goes, look, you, you might think that gentle words mean weak results, But the king here is saying, look, you can accomplish some really difficult and big things if you learn to use a well-timed, gentle word. If you don't come from that place that demands respect, that thinks more highly of itself than it ought, you, rather than being pushy, approach people in a gentle way. Solomon says, look, a gentle word breaks the bone. 
Right? That's, that's huge. A gentle word ends up in the end breaking down people. Right? Words that demand, words that are rude, words that are filled with anger, they don't soften someone, they ultimately harden someone. I think so often we don't understand that and how we respond and treat other people. It's like, I mean, I, I learned this as a parent. Never has this been more true than as a parent. When my kids come to me and they start whining and they start demanding things and they start comparing themselves to all the other families out there, and you might know how it is if, if you've been around kids and they're just, they get so whiny sometimes. I'm, I'm making kids sound really bad, but I don't mean it that way. But like, my kids can come and they can be, I want the iPad, it's my turn, and I, you told me and you promised me this. It's like, I immediately go to a place of no, right? In my house, we have a saying, it's, it's too bad, so sad, should have had another dad. And that's what I say to my kids all the time. Like, <laughs> You know, like, I know there's some parent out there that will let kids do whatever they want, but it doesn't turn out well for them. And it's like, I, I, just your attitude, it, it automatically makes me want to just go, no, I don't want to hear it. You know, but, but when they do come to me, and they're kind and thoughtful about it, and they're gentle, like the other day, my son, I had promised him, he's been researching RC planes, you know, those big planes that you fly remote control. He's been researching them, but he wants like a, a crazy big expensive one. And he's been saving up money for a long, long time. And so um, he goes, Dad, will you take me to go get one? And, and there's only one place that has them. It's up in Tustin. It's pretty far away. And I go, okay, I'll take you. And I promised him last Saturday I would take him. But you know, Saturday rolls along and I've, it's been a long day. I worked out. I was tired. My wife was working in the morning, took the kids to soccer. We were at the fields all day. And we get to the end of the day and I was just like, this was supposed to be my day off and I'm just beat. And I'm sitting on the couch and I had a headache. And I, just, I just wanted to relax. Felt like doing nothing. And Connor, my son, he kind of like, he's 11. He kind of just wanders up and sits next to me on the couch. And I'm like, hmm, here it comes. He's got something. And he's like, hey, how, how you doing, Dad? <laughs> I'm like, I'm good, Connor. What about you? And he's like, I'm good. He's like, and, and I go, I, I just got a headache. I'm just tired right now. I'm just falling asleep on the couch here. And he goes, okay, that's cool. He goes, I, I, make sure you relax and feel better. And I was like, wow, that's awfully nice. And he gets up and he's walking away. And I'm like, Connor. Why'd you come over here and sit with me? He's like, ah, oh, nothing, nothing, nothing. I just want you to feel better. And I'm like, he's not buttering me up. He's being really nice. At least in my head, I think he's not buttering me up. <laughs> and I go, no, no, really. Why'd you come over? He goes, well, remember you said we'd go get an airplane today, but it's okay. We can go another day. I'm totally cool with that. And instantly the bone broke. I was like, I'm tired. I don't want to be around people right now. I just want to relax. It's my day off, you know. But the moment my son was just gentle and he wasn't like, Dad, you promised you'd take me. It was like, I was like, the bone broke. I was like, let's go. We got in the car, drove, you know, an hour up to Tustin. It takes forever to get there. $100 in gas and back. It's like, I'm, I'm willing to go through it all. We get this plane. This plane is huge. He, gets, he spends $700 of his own money. He's been saving it up, sitting there on this giant plane. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. Um, but, but it was his own money. So he was like so into it. So he gets this plane. He's got this giant remote control. So we go home. I'm still tired, but we're putting the thing together. We get it all wired. It's like, it, 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 he was so excited. We go and we take it out during the week. He'd never been so happy in his life. This giant plane, he's flying it up and down. And of course, his dad, I had to step in. And I'm like, hey, why don't you let me fly that thing? And he's like, dad, I don't know. Are you sure? Remember what happened to the last plane? I crashed his last plane, broke it. It was done. I was like, son, son, that was a fluke. It'll never happen again. Well, no sooner <laughs> did I take this plane straight up in the air, which you're not supposed to do, did it stall and just fall straight down and crack in half. <laughs> Like literally, $700 plane cracked in half, and I just see his eyes, they just instantly water. And he's like, he starts crying, and he runs up to it, and he's like, oh, 
oh, you'd think someone died. And I'm like, oh, great, you know, like, I can't afford to buy him a new plane right now. I'm like, you know, and he's crying like a little baby. Like, what are you, what are you like, you know, and, and, but he turns around and he's like, he's like, it's okay, I'll save up and I'll fix this thing. Don't worry, Dad. Crack the bone again. He just broke it right again. I was like, oh, no, no way. Oh, let's go. We're going right now. We're going to go on Amazon. We're going to buy anything it takes to fix this, fix this thing. I'll go buy you a new plane if we have to. And it's like, that's kind of what gentleness does. It's not demanding. It's not harsh. It's not rude. It's not coming in front of people and being like, you said this and putting your finger in their chest and you promised me this. It's, it's, it's someone that says, look, what's more valuable than my plane was you, Dad. You know, I'll, I'll handle this. I'll figure it out. And I learned so much from my son as I was studying gentleness because I'm like, man, he's either the greatest manipulator on earth <laughs> and it's highly likely that that's the case, but... He figured it out through gentleness. And I think the point for all of us is, look, like, we could all use a little more gentleness in our life. It makes you want to be around other people when they're gentle. And if you're a harsh, demanding person, well, you make that bed and you lie in it because that's how people are going to treat you in the end. You make those kind of comments, you act that way all the time, you're demanding and bossy of people, well, then that's ultimately in the end what's going to come back around to you. Gentle people... Yeah, people, in the end, sometimes, if you're gentle with them, will be a jerk to you. And they'll try to take advantage of you. Doesn't mean that you're weak. Doesn't mean that you will let people walk all over you. It just means that in the way that you handle them, you're not going to elevate things. You're not going to stoop yourself to the level of other people. You're going you're gonna to be confident in who you are and just say, you know what? There's some way better than this. I mean, I, I can think of no greater example of this than Jesus himself. Right? When Jesus came, and, and, and of all people, God in the flesh here on earth, if anyone could have been demanding and harsh, it'd probably be God, as he's frustratingly with the people that he created who are rejecting him. If anyone could have been rude, if anyone could have been you know, demanding respect, it should be God in the flesh. But what do we find of Jesus? Over in Matthew chapter 11, he says, Come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden. And you'll find rest. And then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. When he would describe himself, Jesus would say, look, I have no problem with saying, look, I'm gentle. I'm lowly, I'm meek. I don't have to fight for respect. I don't have to force people to do what I want. I don't have to treat people harshly because they're not going to do what they promised me or said they would do. No, the Bible tells us that, that even when Jesus was being tried and falsely accused, as we just went through Matthew, and we saw that in that false trial where everyone's casting accusations at Jesus as they're beating him and punching him, as, they're, as Pontius Pilate, as they bring Jesus before Pontius Pilate, and Pilate asks him to, to respond to all the accusations, what does Jesus do? He doesn't stand up and go, look, everyone's wrong. They're all liars. You know, this person's making this up. This person's stupid over here. You know, this guy, how can we even trust him? He's doing, you know, Jesus doesn't sit there and pick people apart and respond in the way they did. We're told that Jesus was simply silent. Sometimes that's the greatest form of gentleness I think we can do. There's someone arguing in front of you. There's someone casting, you know, accusations at you. Sometimes just... Not stooping to their level means, look, I'm just going to be silent right now. I don't have to respond to everything. I don't have to win every argument. If Jesus didn't, I don't have to. And then as he was pinned to the cross, 
Right? Imagine this picture standing there looking at him and, and standing in the crowd there of people as he's, as he's pinned to the cross with a crown of thorns on his head, blood dripping down, brutally beaten and tortured. As he's up there on the cross, brutally dying in front of all people, he's looking down at people who are cheering against him. Soldiers casting lots for his garments. If ever there was someone who was looking down at humanity, seeing them, and could call down legions of angels to just wipe them out, could level the playing field, could flex his power and strength, it would be Jesus there. But what is the greatest show of strength and power that Jesus did in that moment? He held back and he prayed for them. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Right? What strength, what humility to look at people who are rejecting him and to say, you know what, I love you no matter what. Please, you're still worth something Even if you don't agree with me, even if you're rejecting me, I still see value in you. You're worth dying for. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. As we look at Jesus, the epitome of strength and power under control, as we kind of look at what Solomon says about gentleness, about coming humbly before other people and not having to always have our case heard, not always having to to be the person who's who's pushing others and, and fighting back. We learn about gentleness that it starts at a place of humility. And it comes from people who say, you know what? You're valuable. You're worth something. I'm willing to sit back on some of my feelings. I'm willing to sit back and to treat you kindly and gently, to think through my response to you. Because what's more important than me winning an argument, what's more important than me making my point, is me treating you with value is the relationship I could have and will have with you if I'm humble and gentle about this. So this week, as we go about our weeks, my encouragement is, look, let's all just take a deep breath and understand this. Look, it's not about me. If we can start with that and how we deal with other people and how we relate to our spouses and our friends and our children and and everyone else, it's not all about me first. And we begin to kind of operate in gentleness, to treat people in kind ways, Say, you're more valuable than this argument. You're more valuable than my feelings in this moment. And gentleness then kind of dictates how we now treat people. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so very much. That you're the type of God who would come down and walk amongst us, see us in all of our sin, all of our errors, all of our wrongdoings. Do not treat us harshly. To not, to not take us out when we deserve to be taken out, but gently, kindly, humbly, you went to that cross for each and every one of us. Thank you, Jesus, that you are a gentle, kind, and loving God. And help us as we go about our week to treat others in that same sense of gentleness, to recognize the value and love that you have for them and to mirror that in our own lives. Help us to learn to take pauses and take breaks, to, to slow down so that we don't act hastily or in our emotions, and to just take a moment and treat people gently. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand real quick as we close.